This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the professor, Chao Bello Veracruz. Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder, and I will take the powers of those that have no fear! And the prodigal one, JB, the queen, the queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. Vacation reflection nights. It's a summer vacation to the magnificent seventh, the elite eight, the ninety-nine, the terrific ten, the essential eleven. It's a summer. Well, you know, it's a summer break. They're not a summer vacation. The summer vacation is longer. It's two weeks, three weeks. So we'll call it a little bit of a summer break because, of course, when it's eighty degrees in Bombay, New Jersey, when it's 85, 90 degrees in the Michigan area, we got to enjoy it. We got to enjoy it, PWCIS. Yes, I said PWCITW. You know that I'm gonna give them a little reprieve, but I gotta. I, I'm gonna shout them off. You know, but I'm watching you. I'm watching you, PWCIS. The Hammerites. Welcome to the Hammerlock Hangover on the PWS Network. at Podbean.com with the Doctor of WrestleNomics, Jeff Lipman and Steve Pena. Welcome to the Hamenites from Ben Hamen and the Hamen Media Group. Welcome to the Big Vito Whites and the Big Vito brand. Again, the PWR Podcast, the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast, the kings of nostalgia. We're everywhere. We're, we're everywhere on the airwaves. We're everywhere on the Podbeam streams. That means the virus is growing. But neither here nor there. But again, like I said, we took a little summer break. But to be honest to you, Reflectionites, we will be taking a little bit of a hiatus a little bit later on because, again, the fall season, the new fall season of the PWR podcast 
here at the PWSL Network, Podbean.com, we'll be debuting another new kind of episode. You know we do episodes. TW knew, you know we do the movies. TW knows we do the rivalries. TW knows we do the spotlights. But this coming fall, I might surprise y'all. I think we're going to do a new series before we even start this one. You know, maybe I want to get some feedback from the Reflectionists. I want to get some feedback from my co-host with the most. But before I do that, I must introduce myself because I am vain like that. I am the most nostalgic man. I am the most charismatic man. I am the most studious man. I'm the most stupendous man. But most importantly, I am the most glorious man here in the IWC YWC. I'm the most glorious man in this Podbean punditry. Your friend of mine, the Professor Chabelle Bell Cruz. And I'm not here alone. I'm here with my brother from another mother. The liberal conservative, the conservative liberal. I know he voted early for all them Republicans. I don't care. It's not, that's, my, that's his choice. I don't really give a damn. I'm an independent, but neither here nor there. He is your friend of mine. The Iron Stomach One. Mr. Dum Dum Doer in it in its own. The Tommy Wonder and Tommy. TW, how was your little summer break? And he is holding up, if this is going to be up on the YouTubes, on the PWS Networks, he's holding up the American Dream, Dusty Rose, WWF doll from circa 1989, polka dots, yellow polka dots and all. It's not a doll, first and foremost. And you, you moved on the screen. You, I got to get a picture of this one now. Uh, I'm, like moving, I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm shaking. That's, no, that's all you, that you're froze again. I'm going to put all these on the pod. Oh, shit. Yes, <laughs> You Again, I have to take the best pictures. You know, I have like to take the best all the reflections on the tears is what it looks like. And I purposely sent it to you, not you and Ray, because Ray will put them in the in the thumbnail. He probably will. But anyways, uh, last Thursday or Tuesday, I, I don't know what I did, man. I'll tell you what, I've been back to work for a month now. Today, today would be the beginning of the fifth week. I think I've been back for four weeks. So I That's am good. tired. I am tired as shit. Let me see. Now I can tell you for sure. So you are getting week, your two body. Weeks. Yeah, this is the be- the sec first day of my fifth week back to work, and it's kicking my ass. I came home today, saw my twins. It's their birthday. They left, and their sister got dropped off. I'm taking her to mm-hmm. dinner after this. Uh, huh. And I happy birthday started, to you to the to the little ones. Thank you. And I uh, the Wonder Twins. I. Uh, started watching Nitro where Luger takes on uh, Hulk Hogan and I was telling you before we started recording I had no idea it was at the Palace of Auburn Hills well I also had no idea when Nitro first started it was only an hour long I did not realize mm-hmm. that and yeah the, ep- the episode that I started watching was the 100th episode and up until and the 100th episode was a three-hour episode if I'm not mistaken it was it was their three-hour episode and it was Luger versus Hogan. And the reason I turned it on is because, you know, last week was his biography. Lex was my hero. I mean, he was my absolute idol as a kid. Like, once mm-hmm. I saw Lex Luger in 87, 88 on my aunt and uncle's cable, once I got cable, he is the reason I watched, uh, well, no, the reason I watched NWA was because UWF getting bought. And then he was the reason I was all in on WC. I used to go... To WCW shows at Cobo Hall before they uh, started going to the Palace of Auburn Hills. Okay. Uh, I went every time they came to town. When Ron Simmons was champion, before when when 
Diesel, Kevin Nash was was Master Blaster Steel in a tag team. I saw mm-hmm. him when he was Vinny Vinny Vegas. And I used to chant Vinny Vinny you, you Vinny. Saw more w, you saw more WCW shows than WWF shows there. No, no. Well, at that time, yeah, because WWE stopped coming here. But before that, from like '85 or whatever year I started watching it, '85 was WrestleMania one. So it mm-hmm. would have been 86, because I was a fan before WrestleMania 2, because that was my first WrestleMania um, that I watched in Bulldogs, and I think it was Hammer, Hammer and Beefcake. They beat the, for the belts finally with Ozzy. But uh, anyway, uh, I, was, I was watching it, and oh, God, out cold. Woke up and went, I told my oldest daughter, I'm going to go lay down. And right before my alarm went off, my buddy called me, and I, I, I'm still trying to wake up. But... Um, yeah, so it was cool watching that. Plus, for once, I watched the show that we're covering yesterday instead of doing mm-hmm. it today. Because we hey. know I would have fell asleep for sure watching that one. Well, you know what? You, you have a great talent. You do study under pressure. You do, you, you do like the old school days in the high school. You study for your test 10 minutes before the bell rings and 10 minutes before the test starts. So you, you've done good in these six years. <coughs> Excuse me doing the PWR podcast here at the PWS on Networks at Powerbeam.com. But before we do that, TW, again, like I said, we are going to take a little hiatus, maybe around September-ish, the end of August and September-ish. I don't know how long. But again, the new fall season will start soon. And I figure, again, we do episodic TW. We do the movies. We do rivalries. We do spotlights. We do movies. So what's what's next to do? What what kind of episodes that we should do? And it, and it dawned to the professor, and I want to get your you know pick your brain on this because I think what do we use the term a lot here on the PWR podcast? And I'm saying potential. There you go. You you see <laughs> you and me. That's why I say he's my brother from another mother because we share the same brain. So for the reflectionites. Little spoiler alert. Maybe I I wanted to save this for the new fall season, TW. But again, we're gonna take a little hiatus. So after the fall season, we'll still do the other stuff. But we're gonna add one more metric to the PWR platform that we do. We are gonna do the untapped potential episodes, TW. And it's either the wrestler, it's either a pay-per-view, it's either a movie. But it's going to be an untapped potential type episode. We're going to, you know, delve into that, TW. What say you? Do you like that concept? Do you think, you know, too many platforms I already have on the PWR? Well, there's only one concern I would have, as you said that. Because if it's going to be any of those things, Mm -hmm. then it inevitably is going to be one of those things. So if we're going to make an untapped potential wrestler the spotlight, then we're really just doing the spotlight. I think we should just do untapped potential wrestlers and okay and keep movies to the at the movies keep spotlights to I mean it could be I mean if we're being honest you can't really spotlight an untapped potential guy if he's somebody that never did anything you know mm-hmm. what I mean otherwise but but like untapped potential should just be the thing like the, the wrestler untapped, the tag team subject. could be a t- untapped potential could, subject of yeah, course yeah or concept it could be like like spin the wheel, make the deal. It only made it twice. Maybe it should have been more, or maybe it should there have been go. less. Maybe it should that's have never happened at all. Yeah. So, like I, like I said, reflection. Yeah. Untapped potential wrestler. Untapped potential gimmicks. Untapped potential managers. Untapped teams. potential valleys. Tag teams. Titles. 
So we're going to run Territories. Again. There you go, TW. See, you and I are right there. It's, yeah. We're having this that's meeting not, that's in front of you. That's what we were talking about with Ray, wasn't it? Ray had an idea for a different one, but I can't remember what it is now. I remember that, but we'll again the fall season. I have to, I have to give something a teaser right reflection no, night, sure, and then sure. another one could come afterwards reflection night. Right. So we're still working on it. But I wanted to present y'all with a concept that we've always used this term for years: untapped potential. And now it's gonna be a whole episode dedicated with the term untapped potential. So it's gonna premiere. This fall, on the new fall season of the PWR Podcast, here at the PWSLNetworks.com. Now, TW, let's get to this episodic episode of the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast. And we're going to delve back. TW, do you realize when this drops this weekend, it is almost going to be 35 years to the day this episode aired on TV. And we're going to go back in the time machines to the National Wrestling Alliance, August 22nd, 1987. The NWA was, you know, running hot and heavy. Jim Crockett Promotions, TW. And this was the fallout after all the stuff that happened in the Great American Bash. So I'm going to put a little abbreviated spin for you, TW, to, to keep, get you caught up and get the, all the Reflectionites caught up. Of course, after the Great American Bash, one of the best things happened that made TW even love wrestling even more. His hero. The total package, Lex Luger. The, he's not an alternate no more for the for the for the four horsemen. He is now in, in he is now etched in stone as one of the pillars of the four horsemen when he defeated Nikita Koloff in the steel cage during the Great American Bash to become the United States Heavyweight Champion. Of course, during the Great American Bash, TW, the Garvins, Jimmy Garvin specifically, was chasing the Nature Boy, woo, Ric Flair all during the bash tours for that heavyweight championship but there was a little caveat twist one of the steel cage matches for that title if jimmy garvin was not successful which he wasn't precious was the prize for rick flair and of course jimmy garvin supposedly quote-unquote, honored that deal, but it wasn't precious in the hotel room waiting for Ric Flair. It would be his newest uh, challenger coming up, laying in the weeds, if you will, the hands of stone, Ron Garver, who was in a blonde wig and punched the shit out of Ric Flair, and he knocked him <laughs> out to the pool. So now, T.W., I caught you up a little bit into now we're getting into the fallout of the Great American Bash. Of course, you know, T.W., the, the funny thing is, this is 1987. There is really no pay-per-view schedules, if you will, because it's right. not really like it's not really formulated just yet. I think it took until until like '89 to me, in my humble opinion, when I had cable, to really see a pay-per-view schedule. Like with WWF, you had you know WrestleMania in March or April, you had SummerSlam in August, you had Survivor Series in November, Thanksgiving, and of course the Royal Rumble and Jerry. They they had a set schedule, so you had a little like blocks and gaps. Again, like I told you, TW, NWA, Great American Bash was a tour. They didn't get the, their first pay-per-view was not until in 88. So this is 87. The main one is Starcade, which was in Thanksgiving until 1988 when they moved it to Christmas uh, weekend. So, TW, what say you with, with the NWA uh, events? The schedule is not there. 
And of course, there's closed circuit TV, but it's not, again, like I said, it's not formulated just yet for pay-per-view concerns. First and foremost, I, I have to say, when I watch these shows, like, I have to cop something, right? Like, over the years, man, it almost gives credence to what people are saying now. Over the years, there was a time when I thought Ric Flair was absolutely the man, right? Like, okay. like not my favorite, but, like, objectively, now looking back in hindsight, like, the dude had a lot on his plate, right? Like, I, I would compare him to Sidney Crosby. When when I was a kid, I thought Ric Flair was the man from, from when I started seeing him. He was a bad guy, though. And so when I say the man, I, I should say that you love to hate, right? You were like, damn it, you wanted to see people beat him. And watching this particular episode, you he's all over the place. His reactions to the slightest thing, whether it be a commentator, whether it be an interviewer, whether it be another wrestler, it's just top shelf. And... And we always talk about this, how, you know, everything has formulas. And I think we've talked about it where, how do we not figure this out? Every year, Ric Flair starts and ends as champion. And he loses his belt to somebody, whether it's Rhodes, Rich, uh, Kerry, or Har even Harley. And he wins for, it back. For the, 80, for the 80s, I agree with that. The 90s, yeah. I don't agree with that because no, I think it was a little 90s. bit different. NWA, not WCW. Yeah. NWA. Um, and so... Yeah, because by the 90s, it's it's just like it's not as bad as now, but the belt became a hot potato. Guys would win it and lose it in, in mm -hmm. weeks. Um, but but he lived up to the hype, like Ric Flair. And I think what I got to cop to is over the last 20 years, I think what Ric Flair has done, and I hate to do it because it sounds like I'm agreeing with the IWC, YWC, he's sullying his legacy you know, by, by wrestling in his 70s, his 60s, his 50s. Wrestling in his 40s wasn't a big deal because he actually had some pretty good runs in the WWE post WCW going out of business like you can't argue Flair versus Michaels isn't a great match everything involved regardless of his physical level of that match it still was good that match brought <clears throat> tears to many people's eyes that means they had you right here as, right as long as um, there's meaning a, right. a meaningful storyline to it i don't everything i don't mind but he did sully yeah. it after WCW yeah. closed his doors i get what you're saying and let me just say well, this you you said Sidney Crosby but in the 80s, I'm just going with the 80s and the NWA thing. Ric Flair, whether you like them or not, Reflectionites, to me, he's Magic Johnson. He's Larry Bird. What what do those two names have in common? <coughs> They're the man. They're the A players. They're they the MVPs. The respective other town. Right. They come to your town. You hate you 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 pay to hate them. You right. pay to see them get their ass kicked. Yep. You pay yep. to see them lose. But guess what? They don't Not because Charlotte. they come up when it counts. And that's why Flair to me in the 80s, especially with the four horsemen, where it is TW, he is Magic Johnson. He is Larry Bird. He You've got to give the and ball to your guy when the when the, when the the clock is down to five seconds. You give it to the your A player. And like many, many promotions tried creating another Hulk Hogan, whether it was Lex, whether it was Sting, whether it was the Warrior whether it was Sid Vicious. Everyone tried to make the next big man, but the gimmicks weren't the same. Ric Flair is probably the most imitated wrestler there is, even if a guy wasn't outright copying him like Buddy Landell. I just seen a thing the other day where Steve Austin flat out said he modeled his career as stunning Steve Austin after Ric Flair because to him, he was the hottest thing going today. People in the business knew 
this guy draws money. And and I've said it on here before. I think you've agreed. You would you would say you would you know would rather be. It's fun being the heel. It I, I was a natural heel. I love being a heel. It came so easy to me. It's fucking hard to be a baby face. But the easiest way to be a baby face, and I can't think of uh too many guys that this wasn't the case, is to be a very very hated heel first because like my good man martin lawrence's very underrated movie untapped potential thin line between love and hate it's the same emotion so when right. people hate you all they need is a reason to love you and they will love you just as passionately as they did and we see that with rick flair now he is absolutely adored and loved for the last 20 years whether he's a heel or a face people love to hate him people love to cheer him and, you know, again, now you're more worried for his well-being. But, but you know, if he goes out doing what he loves doing, he goes out doing what he loves doing. We all, we all got an expiration date. Well, he is the, the most visible Randy the Ram uh, Robinson <laughs> out there right yes. now as, we, as, we're, as we're speaking right now. They just got right the now. age wrong. They just got the age wrong for Randy <laughs> yeah, the Ram. They, 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 got the, they got the age wrong. But, you know, the situation with money is kind of correct, even with Ric Flair being divorced, like, multiple times. But neither here nor there reflection. I'm not making light of it. I'm just, I'm just speaking the, the truth here. So, T.W., let's talk about this episode, this episodic episode from August uh, 22nd, 1987. Of course, let's talk about the commentary team, first and foremost, because I, I, I want to give credence to them because, you know, I don't think you, we get, we get you know, for the PWSO Facebook fan page, they don't reckon, they, they're more about today. The Pro Wrestling Reflection Facebook fan page, you should join it, Reflectionites, neither <laughs> here nor there. But we try to give credence to that. And, of course, TW, the old school wrestling Facebook groups, I'm sure you're in, in a bunch of old school wrestling Facebook, Facebook groups, like Nuts and Bolts, shout-outs to Travis Volts. They give credence to, to things like this. TW, I've always seen this comment from old school wrestling groups that people don't give love to Bob Cottle. And, of course, Bob Cottle was the lead. Well, you did. You do. I'm not going to say I'm not going to deny that. But, again, <laughs> the lead commentator for Worldwide Wrestling, because this is an NWA Worldwide Wrestling episode that we were, we're talking about here, actually. Bob Cottle was the lead announcer. And, of course, his play-by-play -play man, uh, his color commentary man, was re legendary wrestler Johnny Weaver. So what say you, T.W., about the commentary duo of Bob Cotto and Johnny Weaver? I, I think they meshed. They, they had a little chemistry here and there. Bob Cotto, again, I think of him more as the uh, bullet point man. That's why I liked him and Jim Ross together during those pay-per-views. I liked him where he gives the bullet points and the explanations. That's where he comes from. And he gives out those emotions. But what say you, TW, when Bob Cottle is given the, the torch to run with it? Bob Cottle, and man, I don't know if he, I don't think he was UWF because it was Jim Ross and Michael Hayes usually on, on UWF yeah. or Terry Taylor or Eddie Gilbert. So Bob Cottle to me, and I've said this a million times, and to a point Lance Russell, but Lance Russell to me was more regional. Bob Cottle felt national. Lance Russell felt Memphis, if that makes sense. And I don't mean that because he was in Memphis. I just mean he sounded Southern, whatever. Bob Cottle, to me, just seemed like he legitimized it. He he could do wrestling one day, and if I saw him covering bowling or shot putting or monster trucks on Wild World of Sports on Saturday, it wouldn't seem out of place for me because he had that delivery 
that was just sport, not necessarily wrestling, not mm-hmm. necessarily specifically anything. I just think he just came across as uh, older, you know, I guess, but like maybe like refined, Jimmy, genuine or, or things like that. Right, right, right. Like a pro. He came across as a pro, whereas everyone else came off like a fan. Right. Tony Shavani, I love him. Come off like a fan. Jim Ross, come off like a fan. Bob Cotto looked like he didn't give a fuck who won or lost as long as you did it legit. So he just reacted to healing, not the heels. Whereas everyone else is like, oh, come on, Ric Flair. Like uh, whoever the guy was, I don't think it was. I think it was Shivani that interviewed Flair after the situation. No, and it, he was gets Cotto. Up. it was Bob it Cotto. It was Cotto. Mm-hmm. And he says, don't you jump on me. But uh, like, but he wasn't. He was just like, hey, this is how it went down. You, you injected yourself. But I just think. I don't know that he's untapped potential because he did get the ball Ooh. to run with it, mm-hmm. but that, how that guy never got signed to WWE is beyond me. Because he, he, to me, was class. I, that's that's the best word. And what, by class, I mean just like the best of the best. And and, mm-hmm. and I agree. I, I agree. I, I stand by that. Um, the other podcast that I listened to that, that Travis put me on to, I haven't talked about it on here in a long time. And to be fair, I haven't listened to it in a long time, um, is... Uh, Damn it. Now I can't remember. OVP? OVP, the OVP podcast. I bought their shirt. Um, OVP did a top 10 ring announcers and top 10 least. But they had, you, you, you have to merge it because there's a difference between commentator and color commentator. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you could say Jesse Ventura was the best. It, it, it's Jesse or Bobby for color. But for, for play-by-play, you know, you, you're usually going to hear Jim Ross's name in there, and Bob Cottle got no love in that poll, and I fought for him. And I'm like, Bob Cottle, I guess you had to be there. Like, if you mm-hmm. just turn it on right now and watch this, you're probably not going to notice him, right? But when you see him every single week, he just delivered the goods. And Johnny Weaver, it was a pleasant surprise to see him. I don't – is Johnny Weaver the – he was coach? No, that was Johnny uh, – No, that, but he was a, he was a former wrestler. From the 60s right, no, and okay. 70s. But how did we know who he was? He was a manager for somebody. Doing no, he, he was, somebody. he's basically in the southern wrestling territories, the NWA territories. Uh, you know what it was? Slamboree. You would see mm-hmm. him on Slamboree. They would always acknowledge him and stuff like that. And right. I didn't, re- I didn't remember him doing compensating, right? So it was a pleasant surprise for me. But you got to remember, 87, I wasn't watching the shit because I didn't mm-hmm. have cable. So it, oh. I was happy to see those two guys when I turned that show on. I was watching this on WPIX Channel 11 after 11 p.m. at night, 12, you know, midnight or 1 a.m. So I stayed up for this or recorded this on the VCR with the with the little skips and stuff like that. But it was worth it. So, you know, neither here nor there. But I brought up the commentators TW for a reason, especially the color commentator, Johnny Weaver, because, again, this little Easter egg, Johnny Weaver is teaching the American Dwayne Dusty Rhodes a new hole to use. That's why I know who he is, the sleeper hole. He is teaching him the sleeper hole, or as Johnny Weaver was, the master of the Weaver lock. And this was very, pre- it was precedent, it was precedent, T.W., because again, Dusty Rhodes was chasing the one title that he never held in his career in the National Wrestling Alliance, and that was the United States heavyweight championship that was held by the total package Lex Luger. So, again, the American dream, 
technically, every week by week, he was chasing Luger. But, of course, there was another little caveat. A lot of people were saying, a lot of the commentators like Bob Cottle or Tony Schiavone or David Crocker, even Jim Crockett himself, were doubting uh, Dusty Rose. They thought he was getting too old. He was maybe a little over the hill. Maybe this was his last hurrah. He had one last run. So let's say, UTW, that Dusty Rose said that I needed a new, a new weapon in my arsenal. He had the bionic elbow, no doubt about that. He had the running elbow. So let's say, UTW, about this, you, you know, using Johnny Weaver in that light. Hey, the figure four leg lock, baby. Don't forget about that. Of course, that, that too. Um, I, I, you know, again, I, I'm, get, I'm getting a full fucking serving of eating some crow here because I had no idea until this show that it's very much, I, I said it, I think it got cut off when we lost connection, but the, the run where Ric Flair won the Intercontinental title was presented as is a belt he never won, so he wanted to win it, and, and mm -hmm. he did, right? So for Dusty Rhodes to be going for the U.S. title, I've said it on here repeatedly, it worked in NWA, didn't, it doesn't work in WWE for me. Uh, now it does because, like I said, the belts don't mean shit anymore. But um, the the fact that he was chasing a belt that he had never won before, I had two reactions to it. One is, wow, I had no idea he was never U.S. champion. So it yeah. gave it a reason for him to chase it other than wanting to take something from the horseman, right? Because that's the other reason. And two, I thought, ha-ha! You guys, when you say that U.S. title was associated with Dusty Rhodes, it's Magnum and it's Lex, period. That's it. Maybe Nikita, who really is just a transition man from Magnum to Lex, um, but that's Lex's belt. And I, again, Dusty Rhodes has, is a lineage to a lot of things in NWA. The heavyweight title, the U.S. title, the TV title. Dusty Rhodes has his, that's the other thing. his the imprint on a lot of is, things. Is, 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 is totally... And you guys tried throwing Dusty and Arn in there, and I'm like, no, it's Tully's belt. I don't even remember Arn with it, other than if you go way back, and then Tully's got that, um, and this is probably where I, I just assume, that other belt that Tully had, uh, something states title or whatever. The national or, heavyweight title. National heavyweight title was exactly like the world TV title. It looked the damn same, much like, <laughs> Rick, much like Hulk Hogan's uh, the belt he has. The first WWF world title after they changed it from that ugly one he won from uh from the, the Iron Sheik. Yeah, so the silver one. I yeah, I like the silver as, one. As as a kid, when I would see that national heavyweight champion belt Tully had, I just assumed it was the TV title. But in hindsight, I could see Arn's holding the TV title in the background while Arn or Tully's holding that one. So, but again, this is before I had cable, so I I had no idea it was a different belt. And they also could have looked like tag belts if it wasn't for the red writing on the world television title. So, right. But at the end of the day, Dusty Rhodes chasing for that U.S. title, chasing a guy who was the new hot shit, Lex Luger. Um, the, the fact that, that he would be taking a belt from, from the horseman if he got it, it, it all worked. It, it was just a thing of beauty. It was, it, and, and Dusty Rhodes being long in the tooth, if you will, getting older. Let, let me, um, wait, hold on for a second. Let me ask you this kind of question. And Reflection Nights, this is not a dig at Dusty Rose. This is more of a hindsight question. But it has to be said. You know, again, TW, you know this with kayfabe commentaries. There are some wrestlers who did not like Dusty Rhodes, you know, the booker, the politician, if you will. Right. So Dusty Rhodes chasing, you know, the United States heavyweight champion. Everything you said, I agree with. So technically, let, let, the technicality is 
His superpower friend, best friend, Nikita Koloff, lost the U.S. title to Lex Luger. So he's doing, maybe in, in hindsight, I'm looking at it right there. He's doing it for his friend. Number two, or B, like you said, he wants to take something away from the horseman, you know, to for this war that he's having with the four horsemen. But here's the caveat question, TW. Why him? Right. You know how it is. Was, was that when his wife was sick? Uh, no, that was in 88 and 89. His wife was sick. So I don't. Bonnie. Or is it Bonnie? So, Betty. So, TW, the question is. With the kayfabe commentaries, you know it, and we don't need the the list of wrestlers that kind of have a that take digs at Dusty Rhodes for his. They all have something in common. Why him? They all have something in common. They all didn't do shit, and that's the thing. It's you know what? Why it's him? Because he could trust him. That's why. And all these guys that go in these kayfabe commentaries and run their fucking holes, either a didn't put asses in the seas, and b like the honky tonk mans. And I'm not saying he picked Dusty because he wasn't there, but all these guys are these bitter sour. Ass great. They didn't. They didn't do anything, man. Dusty did. If you can, if, if nothing else, Dusty did it until it didn't work no more, and then they got rid of Dusty, right? But while mm-hmm. he did it, it worked, and that's the answer. That's why Dusty. It's why Von Eric was always a world class champion. It's why Gagne always had his nose on some belt. Greg Gagne, because his dad trusted him, and he trusted Kurt. That's how he got the AW World Title. You only have so many people you trust that are coming there. Wrestling business, especially in the territories, was a business of snakes. And mm-hmm. I'm like I said, granted, there may be one or two guys that had a grievance, right? Like right now, what we're seeing with NW, or WWE, a Karrion Cross, a Kevin Owens, a, a Drew McIntyre, maybe, because um, he kind of started getting vanilla. They had a nice little thing the other day, him and the guys are starting to be allowed to be themselves when they weren't for the last few years. Um, Back then, there might be one or two guys that didn't get that, right? Like, maybe Barry Windham ch- chases for that belt. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, Nikita goes for it again, which would make sense. Um, that's a, that's but, a, you, wait, that's a funny name that you just mentioned, like Barry Windham. And again, reflection, as you know how we do. This is episodic, but of course, we got to talk about things in 1987. Because TW, in 87, Barry Windham took Ric Flair to the limit for the NWA Heavyweight Championship a couple of months prior. Good match. So why not Barry in that role? I'll tell you why. Okay. Because you got to let it play out. Because mm-hmm. they needed Dusty, and that's just Scooby Doo. Dusty. This is the cool thing about Dusty too, right? You got you all, you always got Dusty finishes. You got all this thing. All that said about Dusty being old, all that stuff, but he needs a new move in his repertoire. He needs all this, and yet he doesn't beat Lex Luger with that new move. He beats Lex Luger because J.J. Dillon throws the chair in, and it's mm-hmm. a miscommunication. And they basically cheat themselves out of that belt. So that puts Lex over strong, makes Lex a good guy. He got beat because J.J. Dillon messed up. And then you need Barry Windham to still be a babyface so he could do the ultimate heel turn on Lex to join the horseman. If Barry takes the belt from Lex, then it, then him turning on Lex doesn't mean as much as the way he turned on Lex inevitably. They were tag champions. Reflectionites, Dusty is thinking five steps ahead, five moves ahead, while a lot of people, and like you said, are Big bitching and complaining, why Dusty right. now? Why Dusty's in the co-main event, if you will, chasing for the number two title that's more important than the, you know, than Ric Flair's heavyweight title? Because if you're the U.S. champion in 1987, T.W., it's a, it's a big effing deal. Also, there might be, we don't know this, 
there might be still some backlash from Nikita was a Russian fucking sympathizing bad guy. He might not have th- those fans in the South are, are less forgiving. Right. So mm-hmm. D- Nikita being U.S. champion. Yeah, they cheered for him because usually Dusty or the Road Warriors were with him or something. But maybe it wasn't working. And then Dusty was the guy who got people invested in it. Um, and then um, I had another thing I was going to say, but oh. I never got to say this before, but I'm going to say it right now for Dusty. Okay. Dusty's playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. That's what was going on in 1987. I've never got to use that analogy before, but that is it. You just said it. He's five steps ahead. These dudes are bitching about right here, right now. And all those guys wanted was the paycheck, if we're being honest, right? But they Mm -hmm. didn't want to do the ass and the weightlifting that you got to do to get that paycheck, right? Dusty mm-hmm. did. Dusty put in the damn work, the passion. You, nobody's ever going to doubt the passion. Dusty Rhodes is regarded as one of the greatest promos of all time, and mm-hmm. with one specifically being considered one of the greatest promos of all time. Our times. Our cool. times, baby. But, yeah, so no, no, I, history has been good to Dusty Rhodes booking, if you ask me. I'm, I'm not I'm not disagreeing. No, I'm just saying, you but know you know agree. those kayfabe commentaries. There are some, and there are you some know, main eventers. You know, they were complaining. He hasn't been good to their booking. Kevin who? Sullivan. That's who. Oh, okay. Garbage. Fucking that, White that's Castle a, of Fear. Maybe but, that's untapped potential gimmicks <laughs> and matches that even worked or didn't work. But that's again right. the new fall season of the PWR podcast here at the PWL Network. Let me let now. me say this in case the off chance Kevin Sullivan listens to our show. Kevin Sullivan, he had to do what he did by the time he's booking like the nineties. They're trying to keep up with WWE, and it was inevitable. You either had to become like them or you went away. And inevitably, they became better at being WWE than WWE with the NWO era, and then they went away anyway. So it was too little, too late, and they went to the well one too many times with that. But Kevin Sullivan, God bless him. He had, they had to do something new because the Southern tried and true wasn't working on a national level. Well, again, that's hindsight booking, of course. You know, it is what it is right now. We are in 2020 deuce, but neither here nor there. We're still talking about August of 1987. So before we go into the main event, TW, we have to at least give some credences to some people that maybe Reflectionites forgot existed. Gimmicks that Reflectionites forgot existed. And there was a gimmick here. I'm not saying I forgot about them, TW, but this tag team was like there in 87 and then kind of disappeared like they were on the spaceship to the mothership or whatever. And that was the tag team of the Mod Squad. What is their name? Smasher and Basher? Yeah. They were unless brothers at first. Unless it's Link Hayes. I don't know who the Mod Squad is. That, that's what it is. And Link Hayes is a black dude, Reflectionites. So there ain't no black dude in this Mod Squad. It's two white guys that look like... Uh, uh, chips. Motorcycle cops. Yep. Yeah, motorcycle cops. So you're booing, you're booing the mo- you're booing cops. Oh, what what a but fun they were concept. Dirty cops. They were supposed to be oh, dirty cops. I'm I'm glad you put dirty cops because right, right. now I know there's a there's a BLM reflection. I say, oh yeah, it's it's apropos. I mean, it's you know we boo them now. It's true to life. But neither here nor there, TW. I ain't gonna get political. Right. But what say you about this? They're not even untapped potential. They're just with here today. Gone tomorrow because they won their squash matches. They were in the Jim Crockett tournament. They had won the first run. round. They won the first round. They beat Wahoo and uh, I forget who his partner was. 
maybe Lasertron. I don't know, but he neither here nor there. <laughs> we'll but get, we'll TW, get. but TW, what say you about the Mod Squad? Why did you know what my reasoning? It's a Southern tag team. It would work in Mem- like you would say. It would work in Memphis. AWA. It would work. It would work. No, it. They weren't in the AWA. Yeah, they were. They were in there for a minute. You sure? Yeah, I, I looked up Wikipedia because I'm like, man, I, I forgot about these guys. I wouldn't have been able to pick them out in the lineup, but I knew the name and I knew the gimmick. So, okay. but shockingly, they both retired in 1991. And the reason I say that shockingly, like never to wrestle again, right? I don't even know what happened to them as far as what they did after. The well, older one, the old, no, the older one was the bigger one, which I think was Basher. Okay. Um, and I'm looking at them. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Unless you knew already. So this is 1987. If you looked at those two guys in the ring, how old would you have thought they were? If I looked at them, I would say they were in their late 20s, early 30s. Okay. I would thought 40s all day, right? Legitimately, for sure, the big one, I thought, okay, he's like like Ronnie Garvin's 40s for sure on this show. At least late 30s, hard 30s. Mm-hmm. So the oldest one, was 27 years old. He's passed away now, right? Okay. Um, had a heart attack in, in 2003 or whatever. He died young, uh, 50, 50. But that guy was born in 1960. So in 1987, that dude's only 27 years old at this show. And I'm like, there's no fucking way that. But it was a different 27. Nowadays, you have a much healthier 27-year-old in the wrestling ring, right? Like, Austin mm-hmm. Theory's probably not 27, but. He's like he 23. Hits, Right. So some of his 27s probably, it's not Dolph. Those, a lot of them guys are late 30s, 40s, man. Um, but, but TW, um, I mean, for Basher or Smasher, whoever that was, who's 27, remember, Basher. they probably started their wrestling career when they were 15 or 16. That's, right, right. It's a, so they were, he was already was wrestling for 10 years. Yeah. So you Actually, say it's a hard they 27. Didn't start, they didn't start until 84. So their whole career was seven years long. Wow. They started out together. They're legit brothers. They did all that stuff. And I'm like, but I, I mean... To me, it was uh, it was hard looking them up too. By the way, um, when I uh, looked them up, just type in Mod Squad. I had to actually write tag team because it wouldn't pull them up. Yeah, um, you get Link Hayes and the Mod Squad. That's what you would get. James, James, and Mac Jefferson. If that ain't two black names, I had never heard of. Dude, that's why you just said the other guy. But these two white ass dudes, Spike and Basher. Um, oh, okay. And they were two motorcycle cops. They were also called the Jeppers when they first started off, Jim and Mac Jefferson. Um, but they it, they wrestled in continent. That, you know what? I stand corrected. So they beat the Fantastics to win the AWA Southern Tag Team title. So it was more of an AWA territory belt, not the AWA. Um, mm-hmm. But but that's the thing. They, they, they were in Kansas City, Central States, all that stuff, and they lost to Lawler and a partner. They lost to DJ Peterson when he was just David Peterson. They feuded with the Fantastic, winning, losing, whatever. But yet, they never really made it to the big stage. And the, well, the, the NWA that, they, is Jim the big... Crockett. No, no. Well, I, I meant they never got signed. Oh, and okay. they, they ended up, the, it said their last match, and then they wrestled the Southern Boys for the Florida NWA tag belts. Um and then in and Baron Von Raschke, and then they lost to Luger and Tully in the tournament, the Crockett. And the okay. last time they wrestled was uh, they, they came to a clash of champions for the Texas shootout, and they lost to Z-Man and Brian Pillman in February of 90. That's the last NWA match. And then that's they retired prob- in 91. That's probably a paper appearance uh, yeah. deal in 1990. Yeah. 
But yep. TW, when you looked at them here in 87, and again, you, you just said it, they were, like I said, they were in the Crockett tournament. So maybe there was a big plan. Maybe Dusty had big plans for them. But when I saw this match, if I'm, you know, one of those fans, those Southern fans, I'm like, anybody want some popcorn? I got to take a piss. They just no charisma. There's no, right there, TW. What say you about the Mod Squad? What, what was their drawback? They were, they were behind their time, right? They, they basically would have Did been, they need Paul Jones? Did they need yeah, J.J. Jones? Yes, yes, yes. But even then, basically, they should have, not should have, they would have excelled in the 60s and 70s, especially with a name like okay. Mod. Um, mm-hmm. But by the late 80s, it, that ship's coming, sailed. Perfect example of them would be the Nasty Boys, who come around right around now, right? 86, mm-hmm. 87, 88, they were AWA, but they had color. They had the graffiti on them. They had the weird haircuts. They gimmicked it up. Mod Squad was just two basic motorcycle cops, which makes you wonder, why the fuck do you need to wear your helmet to the ring? You're not even riding your bike, right? So it, mm-hmm. just, it just was too passe, blase, passe, 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 that's the word. But blase and too passe. It was, it was, it, we always talk about people being ahead of their times. They were behind them. They they were a little too late in in the game for that gimmick. They remind me of something like the Texas Hangmen who were in, in the AWA. Mm-hmm. They were just big dudes, and they threw the mask on them. That might have helped them putting a mask on them, but they were just a, you couldn't really tell them apart. They weren't twins. One's a couple years older than the other one. They weren't bodybuilders. They were just big dudes. Um, mm-hmm. At a time when you got guys like Akeem, who's one-man gang still in 87, I think. But uh, you got yes. one-man gang. You got big boss man. You got all these big dudes that are gimmicked up that are more memorable than these two guys. And they just they just didn't have it. You know what? Like you said, Mod Squad was in the 70s. The, the show was already canceled. It's behind in the times. Maybe I would have given it a chance that they call themselves chips. But then you need a you need you need a Mexican dude. You need and you, and you need, need an Eric Estrada type of dude. Was that better looking dudes? Eric, Eric Poncho John were pretty boy. They were Bo and Duke Luke on a damn or Bo, Bo and Luke Duke on motorcycles. Is what right. Poncho John were, you know? Um, yeah. But, but yeah, they absolutely, you know, just they just didn't have it. They were yeah, getting so. booked by the guys that still like that wrestling. You know, I say it on here all the time. WWE is not booking for us, right? Mm-hmm. AEW is. And it's it's starting to show its fucking people starting to show their uh, impatience with them. But there there's an example of them booking for people trying to age with them. Whereas WWE has stuck up until recently. The, the Triple H regime is changing things, but up until recently they just stuck to that tried and true post attitude era, which was a throwback to the pre attitude era for kids. And mm-hmm. this stuff here, when you got people booking for themselves, it doesn't always translate to the fans. Well, like like I said, and you agree with me, the Mod Squad is a territorial tag team. They're not for the national stage. And Transition the champions match. too, and it's and that's what they were in their career. They would win the belts for one babyface team, and mm-hmm. soon after, drop them to another babyface. And again, again, everybody, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint in a wrestling yep. in a wrestling career. So they they ha- they were cl- accomplished. Reflection. So yep. I'm not trying to make yep. light of them, yep. but. Yep. The only critique, TW, that I can make is they're not a national platform tag team where you yep. there could be larger than life or potential. I didn't believe them if they faced and, the Road Warriors, they would have got they squashed. Any, 
particular impressive moves. Like another even smaller version of them, but same build would be public enemy. But look at the shit they did. You know right. what I mean? They mm -hmm. they made you remember them when they left. Whereas the mod squad was basically their wrestling style was the Road Warriors without the look. Mm -hmm. And it's just the Road Warriors and the look is what made them over. And yeah. Just gotcha. out of people. Gotcha. So TW, I, I did mention the name Paul Jones. Why didn't Paul Jones manage them? But Paul Jones was on this episode, and you could tell that the Paul Jones's army lost somebody very big and very valuable. And that was ravishing Rick Rue because he skedaddled to the WWF for for better opportunities. Because again, the Rick Rude of the Mid South, the Rick Rude of I, the Rick Rude character that I saw in WWF as closely TW was world class. Because they kind of accentuated the the sex appeal that Rick Chippendale, the Chippendale part. NWA didn't. Mid South did not. And of course, Mid South they they spelled his last name R O O D, but neither here nor there. But you could tell that was a big void that was out of the Paul Jones's army because they lost the tag team titles to the Rock and Roll Express. Rick Rick Rude honored his dates. Then he skedaddled up to Connecticut. So you could see the Paul Jones army here. Again, they fought some some jobbers, neither here nor there. But Rick Rude was a big void. When you have the Barbarian, Manny Fernandez looked like a a, a lost puppy. Like, what the hell am I going to do here? And he left the NWA at the end of '87. He went to AWA in 1988. So as a babyface. No, as a heel. Oh, he was a heel. I thought he was he, a babyface. AWA. He had that feud with uh, Wahoo McDaniel. He was full fledged heel, but he, and he embraced it, but. T.W., you could tell because of Rick Rude. Wasn't Rick Ivan Rude. Koloff the third guy? Yeah, Ivan Koloff was the third guy. So what it looked like, it looked like three guys missing three tag team partners. Because you see the right. Barbarian without the Warlord, you see Manny without Rick Rude, and you see Ivan without Nikita or Crusher Khrushchev because he was demolition. Right. Um, I didn't even know Paul Jones managed Ivan Koloff. That must have been after he lost Nikita and... Uh, uh, no, he never managed uh, Nikita. Paul Jones never managed Nikita. Or no, I said Ivan probably went to him after those guys were gone. Yeah, yeah. He, he probably he probably did. But what say you, TW? That that void is so yeah. big; it's so noticeable. Yeah, it, but like I said, you have three guys in the ring who you associate with three other people with them, right? Mm -hmm. And I know Barbarian and Warlord, this is before they became a team because Paul Jones put them together. Yeah. This is right before the infamous Road Warriors workout. Where they break animals' orbitable bone, um, mm -hmm. and then then hit the road and go to be the WWE version of the Road Warriors. Uh, that that was the, uh, that was Paul Jones's last gasp because of the powers yeah. of pain. Yep, but so. yeah, it's it's just you you look at all three guys, and I hey, finally we review a show where there's a guy I wrestled. I wrestled Manny Fernandez, so that was cool mm -hmm. for me to see. Um, and so yeah, it's just it was a weird grouping for me because, like I said, I'm like, man, these these three guys were together. Like I don't even remember it. So of course, that, that, but remember, that's uh, void. yeah, but remember, Paul Jones's biggest uh, feud is always with Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. So you know, Manny faced them, Shaska faced them, and all that stuff. So Shaska again, I just wanted to give credence to the void. Why do you say his name? Because Shaska Watley would be in NWA, and he still would be like primetime wrestling, doing jobs in Madison Square Garden. It's Pez Wally. Pistol Pez Wally. A paycheck is a paycheck, TW. No, but so I mean, it's, it's the man who signs it. Different animal. The only modern day version of that would be 
uh, Tavari is wrestling on AEW, and the night before he's a he's a agent for WWE. You know, and like he's he's another guy. Well, yeah, he he got he got let go of his agent duties in WWE. And now he's a full fledged agent he in did AEW. The dark match. The dark right. match happened before he got let go because that was when him and Kurt Enning's son were on TV breaking up that fight, and they talked about him, and then he got released. But anyways, it just it just wasn't done back then. And and Shaska Watley was Shaska there. Pistol Pez when he did jobs for WWF. Same thing we talked about before. Rock and Roll Buck Zoomhoff would be. Mm-hmm. A champion in AWA and a fucking job guy on Superstars. Uh, Jake the Milkman Milliman, um, all mm-hmm. them dudes. It was a different day back then. Right. So, you know what, Reflection Nights, again, this was a quick hour episode of NWA Worldwide. So, TW, let's get to the main event here. It, it's kind of funny, TW, because, again, we got to talk about it. Ric Flair is the heavyweight champion of the world, and the newest challenger on the horizon because the fans were behind him. Uh, let me just say this. The Southern fans were behind him. The Carolinas was behind him. And that was the hands of stone Ronnie Garvin. And, of course, I talked about he was in the hotel room, dressed up as Precious, and knocked him out in the pool, TW. So Ronnie Garvin is given this you know, rocket ship push to becoming the number one contender. But they had unfinished business, if you will. Because, again, if you remember in, 19, well, T.W. says he, he doesn't remember because he didn't watch this in 1987. <laughs> I did. But in 1987, Ronnie Garvin was burned by the Midnight Express and James E. Cornette. So, again, the Garvin brothers was chasing the Midnight Express for those precious United States Tag Team Championships, T.W. So it was apropos that the main event of NWA Worldwide would be for the United States Tag Team Championships as the Midnight Express defends those belts against the Garvin Brothers with Precious by their side. But there was a twist. Because Ric Flair, Ronnie Garvin played some head games, I guess you could say, T.W. Ric Flair, you know, lost his cool. He, he lost his mojo, if you will. He didn't. He he wasn't the the great confident Ric Flair like we're always used to seeing on WCW Saturday Night. So TW, what say you that Ric Flair wanted to be the the third man at the commentary booth with Bob Cottle and Johnny Weaver? What say you? It was working. Like this is what I meant earlier when I talked about Ric Flair. Like he could do stuff like this where his reactions to things. Like he came off as a spoiled brat, but also a frustrated one, right? And he tried getting in the ring once. Jim Cornette stopped him. I can't remember. I was. I remember being mad as hell because it was Midnight Express, and I heard the music for the Fantastics, and then it wasn't the Fantastics. I can't remember who the. You probably just said it too. Um, I was looking at something I was going to show you, but um, who the hell are the good guys? Who the hell are the good guys? Who was the Midnight Express fighting? The Garvins. I just said oh, it. Duh, duh, duh. Fuck. Duh. That's. I had a brain fart. But they came yes, out with a sharp dressed man with. Uh, the Fantastics music. That was the Fantastics music. That's the reason I listened to that damn music. The ZC Top was because of the Fantastics. But but yeah, he's just losing his shit. And the end of this is so well. The end is confusing. But what they do at the very end, the look on Ric Flair's face. It's just it's dude. He's selling shit with very minimal effort. And then when he does mm-hmm. the thing with Bob Cottle after, it's just it's it's a work of art. The guy was the best heel. Probably of all time. There's like we're gonna have to start just categorizing shit. Like he's not on my Mount Rushmore of favorites, 
But he well, is b- absolutely... Before, before you he, talk about the promo, before right. you talk about the promo, hold on for a second, because I lost your picture for a second, but hopefully it'll come back, but no, neither here nor there. But, Reflectionites, before the, the, the Flair promo where he just loses it, TW, you talked about the... Maybe, do you want to call this a dusty finish? Because this was the funniest ending I could ever see. It, it turned into a whole clusterfuck, TW. And then for some strange reason, we saw Barry Windham, and then Ric Flair just got out of the commentary booth, commentary table, and went in the ring, and went after Ronnie Garvin. Because again, Ronnie Garvin got into Ric Flair's head. But again, Ric Flair was in his street clothes. He was in his $3,000 suit. He had to take that sucker off. He took off the tie. He took off the shoes. But the, the watch, funny thing is... The, the rings, the bracelets. He took it all he off. He took off all that because he wanted to beat the shit out of Ronnie Garvin. But Reflectionites, here's the funny part. Tommy Young did not ring the bell to call a disqualification and give the match to the Garvins. He let the match go. And I guess since he was the head referee of NWA, Reflectionites, he said, let this, let this become an unofficial six-man tag team match. So it was Wyndham and the Garvins versus the Midnight Express and Ric Flair. And at the end, Ronnie Garvin rolls up Ric Flair, gets a chunk of his pants up. You see his ass cheeks. Yep. Gets the, Tommy Young does the one, two, three, and the match is over. And the winner of the six-man tag team match, which I didn't even know happened, which existed, the contracts weren't signed technically, TW, was... Ronnie Garvin, Jimmy Garvin, and Barry Windham. Now, talk about what, why, what you saw. And it's, so you just—it was so confusing to me. I didn't even realize that, but I remember now. Barry Windham went after Bobby Eaton, and then mm-hmm. Jimmy was already with Stan Lane, and Flair and Garvin were were just beating the shit out of him. He was chopping the shit out of Garvin in the corner, and Garvin and was throwing Tommy hands Young. Stuff, right? Don't forget that. And so when he pinned him, I thought, what the fuck is he doing that for? And then he jumps in Barry Windham's arms, and they celebrate. And I'm like, do these fans here think he just won the world title? But the whole point yeah. was to show that Ronnie Garvin has Ric Flair's number. Ric Flair does the post-interview, which is funny because I watched it on the same YouTube link you got. I thought my shit skipped and started playing it over again. But during mm-hmm. the interview, they played that whole last three minutes over again. And then Bob Cotto goes, there you go. That's right. It was Bob Cotto. I can picture him now. He goes, he goes, don't you start on me. Like just the shit he said. Ric Flair was so ridiculous. But you believed every word that came out of his mouth. Like it was believable. Why we just mm-hmm. said the Mod Squad didn't have it. Ric Flair had it and he had it in spades. And he just, yeah, it's insufficient. Just this one episode was enough to remind me of all the shit that's piled on Ric Flair after these eras. Ric mm-hmm. Flair is the best heel of all time. They're better than NWO Hogan because NWO Hogan was just obnoxious. Ric Flair was whatever you needed him to be. You actually believed he was going to beat Ricky Morton, but then you actually thought he was going to have to cheat to beat Lex Luger because of the difference in who he was wrestling. Ric Flair wrestled, I always say this, he wrestled three matches. He wrestled the match that he had against the Ricky Morton size guys, the match he had against the Luger size guys, and then the match he wrestled as a babyface, which still resembled one of those two matches, right? Um, but but Ric Flair adapted, and whoever he was working with, that's who he was. And like I said, he was either scared when he needed to be, or he was mm-hmm. cocky when he could be. And he and, and you never knew which one you were going to get, because Ronnie Garvin's somebody he should be cocky with. That's what I was going to say. He should be yeah. cocky against Ronnie Garvin, but Ronnie Garvin's always but his shit's not was one step ahead of him. 
Yep, yep. That was the thing. And, of course, the unofficial pin, he pinned the World Heavyweight Champion. The crowd went crazy. You know, panties Banana. were flying up, you know, for Ronnie Garvin and Jimmy Garvin and uh, Barry Windham. So, like you said, maybe people thought that you had a new heavyweight champion, but no, it wasn't. It was just that Tommy Young was funny enough. And, of course, Tommy Young played along with the crowd. Not to the umpteenth degree of Aubrey Edwards in AEW reflection ice, <laughs> but he had disdain for Ric Flair. He wasn't afraid of Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, so he did these things, and you can believe it. Only Tommy Young could get away with that. No, Pee Wee Anderson couldn't get away, get away with that. Uh, Earl Hebner couldn't get away with that. Nick Patrick, you know, he he tried to do that shit in the Tommy 90s. Gilbert. Tommy Gilbert, but but yeah, that. That, but Tommy Young, Tommy was, Young was the only one yeah, in the NWA guy. in the 80s. He, that could he would that. bump when he would die to do the count. He would bump and bounce and then count. Like it was, it, it was just good. But I gotta say this for Aubrey Edwards, she's doing all right. When as I'm thinking it, you say her name. Like we can't even mm-hmm. talk about referees without thinking of Aubrey Edwards. So she's doing all right. Yeah. No. No. Again. I've said this reflection as you know there's no secret and TW already knows this. I always wanted to be the referee. It was people right. like Tommy Young. It was people yeah. like Earl Hebner that wanted make me want to be a referee in professional wrestling. And when Charles Robinson did the run in WrestleMania with Undertaker and Edge, that's what I wanted to do. I was like, that should be me running down that fucking aisle, you know, being a meme, but neither here nor there. But TW, let let's we gotta do hindsight. We have to talk about the elephant in the room. Ronnie Garvin getting this gigantic push. Maybe the, maybe it was Dusty uh, seal of approval. I don't think so. I think it was more of a Jim Crockett seal of approval. That's my uh, humble opinion. So bear with me. Maybe you have a different take on this. But again, Jim Crockett was trying to keep up with the Joneses. Or as much as we will say, keep up with the McMahons. Vince McMahon, if you will. Vince McMahon is expanding. You got Hulk Hogan, the cash cow, and all this stuff. You have, on the other side, Ric Flair, like we said, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. But again, you even said in the 80s, you know, somebody has to beat Ric Flair. So they chose Ronnie Garvin to do that, TW. But when you're trying to expand, we know that Ronnie Garvin wasn't the right choice. But why do you think? Why do you think he was that it was Jim Crockett's right choice at that time. Because it wasn't his right choice ever, but the reason it was his choice is it's rewarding the, the good hand. It's rewarding the guy that's been there put, busting his ass. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be... Wasn't he related to somebody, too? Was Ronnie got married to somebody, and it was Crockett? But, but it was not necessarily, you know, favoritism, whatever, but it was just, we got to try something new. And maybe Ronnie was over way more than we realized, but I can mm-hmm. tell you this. They put that belt on him at the Cobo Hall in the very first ever NWA show in Michigan, right? Okay. It was a house show. Everyone was blown away by it because they're like, what? He won the fucking belt in Detroit? And mm-hmm. I think it was a Saturday night, September 25th, 1987. I was still mad to this day. I couldn't go there. But I saw it on Bernie Smilovitz's sports final edition. He showed the title change. It made national news. So it did what it was intended to do. Would it have been better if somebody like, like, he's? I think he was just too old, right? Like, like just like NWA now, when that belt was put on uh, Storm, Tim Storm. It's like, huh? Like, that's right. the guy you're building on? 
he's probably going to be retired in a year or two, which I ended up being wrong about because he's still going unless he lost that match to Magnus. I think it was a career match. But anyways, it's, 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 it's a head-scratcher that they picked him, but I, I think it's because it says something about him as a person. They liked him enough that they picked him, right? And they did Barry Wyndham maybe too young yet, and Barry Wyndham had a history of flip-flopping. Of going back and forth because he left there to go to WWE no, and then went I, I agree with you. Barry, Barry Windham was too young to to get that kind of responsibility. You're right. Ronnie Garvin's was in the business for a long time. He was already wrestling, you know, ten plus well, years. Maybe He's Jimmy Garvin's stepdad. That's what his actual relationship was. So really, it's got nothing to do with Crockett. Right. But neither here nor there. But but TW, you're right. Barry Windham's too young. Ronnie Garvin is perfect. But again. Ronnie Garvin's perfect for the territory, the Carolinas, right. if it was, if you will. But with Jim Crockett trying to go to Chicago, trying to go to L.A., trying to go to New York, Ronnie Garvin. Dusty's too old. And Dusty's too old. Like Dusty, Dusty won it in the '83, '84, or whatever, and it didn't move anything, you know, needles or whatever they say these days. But Ronnie mm-hmm. Garvin, they picked him for a reason. But like I said, I think it's, I think it was a compliment to the, the person. Like this guy's paid his dues. Let's throw this belt on. Um, but I've never ever. I know he does those shoot interviews. I've never seen one. Um, so he might. He be don't like Dusty. Better logic. He he don't. But Ronnie is, Garvin don't like Dusty. Weird. Yeah, which is weird because he got the belt. But like I said, I don't think that's a Dusty choice. I think that was a Crockett choice that Dusty had to make it work. That's all I'm just saying. I'm gonna use my conspiracy theory but theory hat on that. I will one. say this. I will say this. We're still here, almost 35 years later. Mm-hmm. Still wondering how the hell he got that belt. So again, time shows Dusty wins, not Ronnie Garvin. And but there probably was a little bit more personal heat between those two. But mm-hmm. if a guy like fucking Chris Champion or or Jimmy Valiant goes, man, they never put the belt on me. But fuck you, because of course they never put the belt. On you weighed eighty pounds. And Chris Champion, whatever his deal was. But I don't know if he's one of the bitter ones, Chris Champion. I'm just saying, usually it's because the guys are too young. Or too old. They couldn't. You couldn't go with Dusty. So as old as Ronnie is, he's still a new face, I guess you should mm-hmm. say, because he was never at the top of the card until then. I don't disagree with you, TW. I don't disagree with TW. The crowd was was popping for Ronnie Garvin. You hear the screams for the pin over Ric Flair there he looks on like worldwide. The, he looks like so, the dude sitting on them damn porches in the south, just sitting right, there with so, a banjo and a beer. It's a litmus test that Jim Crockett thought maybe he can be a national superstar, you know, representing the NWA with the big gold belt. But again, the business and has to be changed fair, in the 80. Hmm? McMahon signed him and tried doing it too. So McMahon tried making him a big baby face. The right. with Greg Valentine and the leg brace and everything like that. He just had no charisma at all. It was just not bad. Again, this is all hindsight, but with that being said, Reflection Nights. We close on this episodic episode of the PWR podcast here at the PWS Network the We apologize for a little technical difficulties, but of course, you know, we gotta blame somebody. I blame it on Biden. I blame it on Mitch McConnell. I blame it on Pelosi. I blame it on Donald Trump Manchin. and the, the Mar Lago people. What? Mansion. Hey, you can blame it on Mansion either. I don't I don't cinema. I don't give a damn. Blame it on all. Now I'm an independent through and Gretchen. Blame it on everybody. Blame it on Russia. Blame it on China. Blame it on a monkeypox. I don't know, but there's Canada, Trudeau. 
There you go. Dad, you got a you got a long list, so I'm not gonna I wanna end this show right now. You got a longer list than I even you, said you it. Do, but you do cinema in there. But neither here nor there, TW. So for next week, before we go on our hiatus, I'm gonna give you the show that you wanted for a while. You asked about this one. And I said no because I, I wanted to do something different. But I feel apropos because I want to beat them to it. We're going to do another Rivalries edition. You know which one I'm giving you, right, TW? You asked for this. I don't know what I asked for, but I asked for a few things. Okay, so I'm, gi- I'm giving you the one that you wanted. The Big Show, Paul White versus Brock Lesnar. Greatest Rivalries edition oh, yeah, here yeah, 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 at yeah. the PWR Podcast. At the PWS Networks at powerbeam.com, TW. We're giving you we're some what carry. you want. Say what? Yeah, yeah. Because it's a broken ring. That's why I brought that up. I thought yeah. we were getting some Carrie Von Eric love, is what I thought. Because you said you want to do something different because of uh, we did the Von Eric's free yeah, We already did the Von Eric's, yeah. but you asked for this. I keep I keep a mental log of what TW yeah. asked me to do. The broken ring, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do the we great. Can do a whole show on Brock Lesnar breaking shit. Well, that's, that's going to be boring even to me. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> but we're going to do the rivalries edition, so I'll get you those matches. Well, you probably already know the matches we're going to talk about, so neither here nor there. So, TW, give out those socials so we can get out of here. Welcome back, Pro Wrestling Coalition Network. PWC Network at Podbean.com. And by the way, our good man, the Gooch, I had a good conversation with him today. I told him to reach out to you because I don't know shit about shit. He mm-hmm. said, I wish you guys were on YouTube. I said, I'm pretty sure we are on YouTube. And, and he can't find us on Podbean because he had, no, he got rid of Podbean. He's trying to find us on Spotify. He said he wishes we were on YouTube. And I'm like, I think we are on YouTube. But you're going to tell him the YouTube link. Um, I'll just send him the link next time I talk to him. But uh, mm-hmm. our show is at PW Reflection. Um, Big Ray can't do it without him. At Big Ray Hernandez. He's got big light things happening soon. That's what we'll take a little breather. But for him to do some reconnaissance work for us down in mm-hmm. another state. Uh, mines are at Tommy Wonder 19. It's Instagram and a more political Twitter. And then you have at the Tommy Wonder, which is more wrestling friendly, pop culture friendly Twitter, as well as TikTok, Facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder, and Snapchat number one there and then you have the big veto brand who helps us out as well so you can find them at bigvetobrand.wixsite.com patreon.com backslash the big veto brand and if you talk to the gooch just tell them for the youtubes just type in pw hustle on youtube that's it we're there and all the all the pwr stuff that uh eight track brown uploads for us is there the thumbnails are there for the particular shows so just tell them that all right tw so yep. for my for my Twitter, it's PWSO P-R-O-F. That's PWSO Prof. And of course, like I said, we are on YouTube sometimes at the PWSO Networks. Just type in Gooch. Just search PWSO. <laughs> We're there. It's that, that easy. One word. All, all syllables together. But neither here nor there. And of course, follow my brothers in arms. The man with the documents. The man who already knows who's won these midterm elections. He already got the documents. 
You don't, you know, while y'all are like biting your fingernails hoping that your Republican candidate won or your Democrat won, he already has the document saying, haha, I already know who won, so fuck y'all. But neither here nor there. His Twitter <laughs> is at OB1, you know me, Billy Ray Valentine. And of course, the king of the reactions, 8 Track Brown, his Twitter, his new Twitter is, what do you know, 8 Track Brown. So 8 T R A C B R O W N. So again, next week, Rivalries edition again, Brock Lesnar versus The Big Show. So, TW, for TW, and for myself, the ever more, ever so, well, I'm the El Profesora. The ever so lost one. <laughs> Chabelo de la Croix. I'm still, I'm still Chabelo de la Croix. Hopefully my application gets, you know, accepted by the maximum male models. But neither here nor there. I'm the professor. That's TW saying goodnight, and we'll see you next time. Here at the PWR Podcast at the PWL Networks at PowerBeam.com. If you will. If you will. Cool.